Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Look Forward for week of May 15th. I'm your host, Jay. Uh, solo show this week, and uh, I want to apologize for not being on last week. Uh, schedules got a little too crazy and busy um, to record, unfortunately. But we do have plenty, uh, plenty to talk about this week that will make up for, for missing last week. Um, lots of information in domestic politics this week, uh, including an interesting article by Seymour Hirsch about the killing of Osama bin Laden. Um, and the reason why I put that in domestic is because it has more to do with what the United States said versus um, what actually probably happened. Uh, we're going to talk about Russ Feingold, Jeb Bush, uh, and an interesting uh, bit of voting on the domestic uh, bulk data collection uh, in the House this week. Uh, we've got two great foreign policy stories. Uh, no uh, wackadoo politics stories this week, unfortunately, because everyone was acting relatively normal on television. So, um, But I'm sure we'll have uh, more of those next week. Uh, before we get started, make sure you go to lookforwardshow.com, sign up for our premium content. It's $5 a month or $50 for the full year. And you get, not only do you get this full show, but you also get a number of other shows that are in our premium section of uh, the Nerdpocalypse Network. And um, you get all of our free shows. We've got several premium shows. We've got a lot. This, I believe we have nine total shows. We're starting a 10th one here soon. So everything from film criticism to politics to uh, video games. So it's a lot of things. Uh, $5 a month is a total steal for what you get. Uh, so make sure you check that out. Lookforwardshow.com. All right. So first and foremost, we have a very, very fascinating story from uh, Seymour Hirsch wrote a 10,000 plus word write up for the London Review of Books uh, entitled The Killing of Osama Bin Laden. Now, if you don't know who Seymour Hirsch is, um, you might sort of be hearing his name recently because of the story. Uh, a lot of journalists are basically saying that this is not true and, you know, Seymour Hirsch is is a hack or, you know, all this other, frankly, nonsense um, because he wrote something that was sort of anti the establishment, anti the story that the Obama administration has been telling about the killing of Osama bin Laden. Now, at the end of the day, does it really matter? We got the guy. We really did get him. Uh, that's all truthful. But the ways in which we did get him are really fascinating. And But what I want to do is, before we even talk about whether or not Seymour Hirsch is a – if his story is, is correct and if it makes sense, I want to talk about who Seymour Hirsch is because I think that gives you a better indication. Now, Seymour Hirsch isn't just some fly-by-night journalist who – you know, oh, okay, well, he wrote one one or two stories and it wasn't a big deal. Hirsch has been around since the 60s and has broken some of the biggest stories in American history and in foreign policy history, right? Um, in 1969, he broke the Miley Massacre story, which was a um, story about hundreds of unarmed Vietnamese citizens, uh, civilians, being murdered by U.S. troops in the March, March of 1968. Um, it was a massive story that actually swung the tide for opposition to Vietnam. And it absolutely put the U.S. peace movement against Vietnam on high alert and pushed them to make huge demonstrations and things like that, which absolutely turned the tide in us coming home in Vietnam. It is a massive story. And he wrote an entire book on it. So understand that this guy is not just 
a nobody. He's not just a guy trying to get fame. He's already famous. He's already a huge name. He's already a known, solid, real journalist. Not the people that you see on television who are just actors reading a script. This guy is an actual journalist, and he's a really serious guy. Um, he also, which I didn't, I didn't know this, but as I was reading more on Hirsch, um, he also wrote a story about something called Project Jennifer, which was also later to be revealed as Project Azarian or Operation Matador, if you if you know it by those names, which was a covert CIA project to recover a sunken Soviet uh, submarine off the floor of the Pacific Ocean. He he was brought that story was brought to him and he wrote up on that. And it was interesting because they didn't release the story until almost a year later after he wrote it because the operation was still currently going on and it was going to affect basically cause an international incident uh, because Russia was unaware that the U.S. was trying to do this, trying to recover the submarine. So this guy, again, and there's a whole host of things. I mean, you can look up um, Watergate. He was also involved in that uh, and everything else. So he's he is a huge, huge big-time journalist who is not going to do a story unless it really matters, right? And no one has ever come out and said, oh, the Project Jennifer thing or the Miley Massacre thing is not true. Like, no, this guy has won multiple Pulitzers and things like that for his work. So just understand that that's who we're dealing with. Now, take that information and extrapolate it out to what he wrote recently um, about the killing of, of Osama bin Laden because it is incredibly important. Now, the general story here that most Americans know and most of the world knows is we got we got intelligence from one of Osama bin Laden's couriers. We tracked him. He, you know, we tracked him back to the house. I mean, if you saw the movie Zero Dark Thirty, it kind of goes through all this. We tracked him back to this house in Abbottabad, Pakistan, and we sent in uh, a number of a number of uh, Navy SEALs, SEAL Team Six guys into helicopters, they land, they take out the people in the house, they take out Osama bin Laden, they take his body back, and then they do the burial at sea, blah, 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 right? That all sounds awesome. It was a Hollywood movie. I loved Zero Dark Thirty. I thought it was great. Did I buy everything that happened in that movie as being 100% this is what happened? No, I, I don't believe in operations like that. I don't believe that we would declassify that much information, especially for a Hollywood movie. That's ridiculous. Um, but that being said, I thought that was the general story, and I thought that was relatively accurate. Well, Hirsch says that, and he's been researching this for a while, Hirsch says that it is not true at all, that almost all of the story is bullshit. So one of the big, one of the big parts is that we, so we, get, we gather this information, and, you know, America's awesome, so we got this information, we track these guys and all this other stuff. Well, it turns out, that we also had said that Pakistan didn't know about the operation. That's why they were so angry after they found out. And we had to send people over there to sort of smooth things out. But Hirsch asserts that actually the biggest, one of the biggest lies is that people in Pakistan did know. And they did know that it was happening. And they, they knew that Osama bin Laden was already there. They, they had kept Osama bin Laden there he was basically a prisoner of Pakistan in that compound in Abbottabad since 2006. Now, between 2001 and 2006, he was 
he apparently was he was hiding out in the uh, Hindu Kush uh, mountain range um, in Afghanistan um, on the Afghanistan Pakistan border. Now they're saying, okay, so in 2006 they captured him, they brought him there. He was, for all intents and purposes, he was a, a cripple. Like he was dying. I, th- I think he he was on dialysis. I mean, he had like kidney failure and things like that. This is according to this article. Which look, it's ten thousand words, and I read it, and it's a lot. It's a whole lot to read. However, if you find this stuff interesting, you should absolutely read it to understand. Like, I love foreign policy. I think it's incredibly fascinating. But m- more importantly, this is just incredibly researched and incredibly well written. This is a story I would like to see a movie about. Like, this is an amazing. This is an amazing story. So, so the Pakistani government had him, and they knew about it, right? So, Hirsch asserts that. These two major uh, senior military leaders, General, and I apologize for the getting their names probably wrong, um, Ashfaq Pervez Kayani, who um, is the chief army staff, and General Ahmed Shuju Pasha, the director of the general director general of the ISI. ISI is kind of like uh, Pakistan's CIA, right? He said that they were informed of the U.S. mission. They knew it was coming, um, and basically they. Not that they authorized it, but they kept bin Laden's whereabouts unknown. Like they told the U.S. like, yes, we know we have him. He's we, you know, we got the guy and we'll let you know where he is when the timing uh, is right. So but they what they wanted is they wanted sort of a quid pro quo situation where they could benefit from like, okay, we'll give you bin Laden, but you got to give us. X, Y, and Z, right? And there, like, there's a whole thing in the article about how Pakistan and the United States sort of play this sort of antagonistic view of each other, like in the public. So they use it as sort of a what they call a CYA tactic, a cover your ass tactic. So if they seem mad at each other, it doesn't seem like they're working back channel with each other to get these things done, which is incredibly fascinating. So they basically said, look. You guys, okay, you're allowed to come in to our air, to Pakistani airspace um, and come and get this guy, right? But you got to kill him. You can't just take him because you can't take somebody like bin Laden out of Pakistan and then what? Have a trial for him? Possibly give away information about Pakistan and give information on the in the public arena? That's a crazy idea. You can't do that. So basically the agreement is you guys can come over here, you can kill this guy and take his body. Cuz, you know, that's the only way it's going to work out for you. Um now those two guys that I mentioned, Kayani and uh Pasha, basically the reason why they're so important to this story is because they came in and said, "Look, not only can you come and get him and all this other stuff, we're working with the government, blah, blah, blah. But we're going to make sure that you, when you come into our airspace on the day that we say is okay, we'll make sure that no alarms go off. Now, and the reason why I keep bringing up Zero Dark Thirty is because a lot of people might not know all the details, but a lot of people saw that movie, right? So it sort of ties in with the details that we know. So it's easier to visually understand this. So in that movie, they show like, okay, we're sending the two helicopters with... Chris Pratt and Joel Edgerton were going to send them with their team through Pakistani airspace. And they were trying to get in and get out before the Pakistanis knew they were there before they raised the alarms. But the fact of the matter is 
those alarms were never going to get raised. There wasn't any alarm system or anything because they knew they were coming. They were allowed to come in. Right now, why do it covert? Well, you know, there's part again, there's part of it. You don't want to have American helicopters landing in the middle of the day. Right. Because it's Pakistan. So it's still a dangerous place. It's an incredibly dangerous place, especially for Americans. Um, So they do this cover of night thing. All of that. Once they land in, you know, one of the helicopters blowing up and all this other stuff or them blowing up one of the helicopters because it gets damaged. All that's true. That that's a hundred percent true. However, they're saying that like the big time firefight and all this other stuff inside the house is not true. That that didn't that didn't necessarily happen. That you know they didn't have to go like Osama and then he'd come out and he shoot him in the head. Like there wasn't any of that. Like that and him like reaching for the AK forty seven. All that Hirsch says is total nonsense. It didn't happen. They basically came in the house, took these guys out easy, and then rolled out now why now they weren't supposed originally the obama administration um were thinking about doing a drone strike on this place like okay you tell us the place okay drone strike boom we got them game over right uh but they didn't they decided not to do that and they wanted to have troops on the ground so that they could get his body so that they could actually identify it right now i will give Look, I give Obama a lot of credit uh, for his Middle Eastern policies. Some of them I have obvious issues with. But this one in Hirsch's article, I found this to be the most interesting part of it, which is when the CIA came to came to Obama and they were like, listen, we've got intelligence on where Osama bin Laden is. You know, we think we should go in and get this guy and all this other stuff. Obama says to them, I don't want to hear anything about Osama bin Laden until you have 100% credible evidence that this is the guy. Like, that we got him, he's in this place. Don't give me a bunch of, like, we think it's him. So I kind of give him a lot of credit for that because I'm not so sure George W. Bush would have done that. I'm like, oh, we got him, uh, drone strike, kill him, done, game over. Like, I don't think that he would have been so patient. So they knew that they they had the information that this guy was possibly there and they held it and they sat on it until they had verifiable information. Now, going back to the original point, which was we attract this courier and all this other stuff and that's how we knew, blah, 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 all that being false, what really was the thing that let us know that these guy, that this guy was there was that there was a Pakistani intelligence officer who actually betrayed the Pakistani government and went to the U S and was like, yeah, I know where he is. Give me my $25 million in 2011. And so that notion of like, Oh, the American intelligence and we tracked him based on like data collection, blah, 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 and torture and all of that. No, we didn't. Good old greenbacks are what got us that information. Hey, we'll give you $25 million dead or alive. Um, you can tell us where Osama bin Laden is. And some dude was like, mm, I'm going to take that money. It's kind of interesting, right? That's, that's fascinating that we built this, frankly, bullshit story of like how data collection and all this other stuff, which we're going to talk about later, how that worked to help us. But it didn't. It was just a bribe. A bribe worked. And in the article, they said that when the Pakistanis caught bin Laden in two, it, back, um, back in the Hindu Kush mountains, 
you know, while we were bombing the crap out of Afghanistan, how they caught him is somebody close to them dimed him out for money and said, oh, yeah, Bin Laden's uh, he's up the hill. He's uh, hanging out behind those goats. Go get him. So, again, data collection and violating Americans' um, right to privacy and things like that, all irrelevant. Bribery totally works every time. So there you go. Just get enough cash and people will turn on people, man. That's it because people want to be rich. But apparently they don't give that guy's name, obviously. But apparently this former Pakistani intelligence officer now lives in the Washington, D.C. area and is a um, sort of a uh, in not informant, but sort of a um, like he gives information or sort of background information to like the CIA. That's what he does now. But they gave him like the vast majority of the twenty five million dollar reward. Absolutely fascinating. So we go in, we kill Osama bin Laden, we grab his body, we roll out. At the end of the day, they were supposed to hold off and they were they were planning on throwing like throwing parts of his body into the, the Hindu Kush mountains and then say they, they did a drone strike and and found his body parts there. That was what they were gonna do. But they decided not to do that, which is so twisted, by the way. They decided not to do that. That burial at sea thing that Republicans were like, I can't believe we gave him a burial. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. None of that happened. They just tossed his ass off the boat. Done. Gone. Game over. It wasn't like, oh, I'll, we'll give him really Nothing. Gone. Because they didn't want, which is that part is true, they didn't want people to have a shrine to him and like go there and like, oh, it's all been lying. You're the greatest. They were like, nah, forget that. Toss his ass off the boat. So that's kind of, it's really fascinating. But one of the other things, and it's the final point on this story, one of the really final um, interesting parts is Obama wasn't supposed to tell about the bin Laden raid for a little bit of time after they had done it and, you know, everybody is debriefed and everything else, right? Because remember, when they, when Obama came out and gave that speech about like, oh, we got him and all this other stuff, that was right after they got him. Right after, right? It was like, this happened on Tuesday night, like Wednesday, you know, Tuesday night, Pakistani time, you know, and a couple hours later, we were giving. I mean, Obama gave that speech at like 11 o'clock at night, which is unprecedented, by the way. So he wasn't supposed to give it that soon. What happened was he gave it that soon because the helicopter issue of them having to blow up the helicopter because it was damaged um, when it landed. They he gave that he gave that um, that speech because he didn't want the information to start rolling out from around around the world. So they had to go. Oh, we got to go now. We got to give this information. We got to go at eleven o'clock at night. Let's do it. Let's get out there. Let's get the goodwill. Everybody's like, oh, Obama's awesome. Look, at the end of the day, am I like, oh, I can't believe this. I'm so shocked. I find it fascinating, but at the same time, the end result's the end result. We got him. We did. But it's interesting how the U.S. will twist the story to make us seem like these ultimate heroes, that we don't do back-channel work with foreign governments that we supposedly don't like or do like and all this other stuff, that we don't use spies, we don't bribe people, we don't use monetary um, uh, incentives to get information and hope that it works out and hope that it's accurate and all this other stuff, because that's what we did. But instead, we give the Zero Dark Thirty idea, which is... 
with our data collection, we're badasses. We sent two helicopters with Chris Pratt and, you know, and all these other guys, and they look cool, and they come out, and they shoot, and they have code words and all this other stuff. Yeah, they do all that, and it's really awesome. That's not how it works. It's a lot messier than that, and it's a lot, a lot of it's luck. Because if you look at the official story, we, we show it as being American ingenuity, American spy work, American tradecraft, and all that other stuff. But what it really is, is a whole lot of luck and a couple of decent decisions that make all the difference. So, there you go. Whether you believe it or not, that's up to you. But what I would say is, definitely read the story. I was riveted. This is an amazing story. Um... But check it out, man. Check it out. Uh, it'll be in the show notes. Alrighty, let's move into even more domestic policy. Even though I guess that last story had a lot of foreign policy in it, but I, I couldn't help but leave with that story. I just thought it was so amazing. So, look, hard-nosed, badass, progressive guy, Russ Feingold, former senator, um, he lost, he unfortunately lost, um, lost his Senate seat uh, back in the day, uh, six years ago. And frankly, it was one of the saddest things I remember in, in, uh, domestic politics, losing to Ron Johnson, a absolute corporatist, pathetic candidate, just because he was during the Republican wave in 2010, he beat Russ Feingold, who he should have never beaten. But Russ Feingold, is now going to run for Senate again against Ron Johnson in 2016. Now, Feingold, now 62 years old, which he doesn't even look 62, which is amazing to me, um, is uh, is going to run for run for the Senate in Wisconsin. Now, here's a couple of things about Russ Feingold that you may or may not know. Um, Feingold was the only senator to vote against the Patriot Act. He voted against the authorization for the Iraq War. This guy is... You want to talk about what progressives are. This guy is it. This guy was fighting for removing millionaires and billionaires from having extended um, power in this in this country from um, for for keeping money out of politics. These are things he was he was pushing for in 2008, in 2006, in 2000. But nobody but the the shift hadn't happened yet. Right. So he was fighting against corporate welfare. He was fighting against the Iraq War. He was fighting against trade deals like the TPP that we talked about uh, two weeks ago. So this guy is really a guy who um, does the things that we that we push for. He is the Elizabeth Warren before Elizabeth Warren was a person, right? Elizabeth Warren at the time when Feingold was in the Senate was still working for the president, right? Trying to work on the Consumer Protection Act and stuff like that, um, which is not a small thing. I don't mean it to sound like that. Um, so, so Feingold's going to run again, which is great. Um, but what's really a good thing is you have people like the, you know, the, Sen- the, the Democrats in the Senate, the establishment Democrats are ecstatic, right? Because they love Feingold. But that wasn't the case back when he was in the Senate, right? He was very much anti the rank and file Democrats. Again, he was the only person to vote against the Patriot Act, who was a Democrat. Now, you know, there were people, there were other people, but they were few and far between, right? But he was the only sitting Democratic senator who voted against it, um, and the Iraq War as well. So 
so they they did a poll the the market university poll surveyed last month um russ feingold versus ron johnson who is the republican um senator right now who beat him this was a month ago this is before he even announced feingold had a 16 point lead a month ago and he wasn't even being considered he wasn't even considering it but maybe after that poll came out you know maybe i got a pretty good chance um but there's some really interesting things about wisconsin politics um i mean you have to remember that wisconsin is the place that elected scott walker in three that backed him in three different elections um this article in the atlantic does a really good job i think it goes on to say like listen wisconsin is sometimes described as a swing state but because it's a but because its elections are so close but its politics tend to be more bipolar than bipartisan, which I love that line. Deep deep red or deep blue, but rarely in the mushy middle. In the last six years, voters in the Badger State have elected Ron Johnson and back to conservative Governor Scott Walker in three elections. But they also sent liberal Tammy Baldwin to the Senate in 2012. They've, they've sent Paul Ryan to Congress, but rejected him as vice president. And that same market poll that showed Feingold in the lead in Wisconsin supports Hillary Clinton over Scott Walker for the presidential race. It's amazing. Like, what the hell's going on in Wisconsin? They, they're just like hardcore left or hardcore right. It's really fascinating. But I think Feingold can make real inroads now because I don't think Ron Johnson, who was known as more of this like firebrand conservative, like he is definitely not in the middle. He was this firebrand conservative. But now that he's in the Senate, he's just kind of like, ask me any questions i'm real quiet trying not to not trying to stir things up so he can continue to keep his job again why do you want somebody who's just going to be complacent you want a fighter feingold is a fighter right many people push for dodd frank the dodd frank wall street reform when feingold was in office he was the guy who voted against it not because he thought that look, this is a bad bill or anything like that. He voted against it because he said it was too weak on the banks. This is the guy you want. You don't want a guy who's like, oh, the banks are, you know, they're our friends or whatever. This is the guy you want. Now, keep in mind, at the time that he was saying that the the regulation on the banks was too weak and he was right, Elizabeth Warren was working to implement the Dodd-Frank bill. Now, look, I love Elizabeth Warren, and that was her job. There's nothing she can do about it. She wasn't an elected official. But just keep in mind, that she was trying to implement it. And this guy is saying it wasn't strong enough. Now imagine Elizabeth Warren now who has the strength and the power and the independence right now. Um, that she is pushing for harder regulations on the bank. Now imagine having Russ Feingold standing right next to her. These two fighters kicking ass in the Senate for the Democrats. These are the people you want. The more I read about Feingold, the more I read about Elizabeth Warren, the more I realize that as much as I would love Elizabeth Warren to run as president, I actually kind of want her to stay in the Senate. If she continues on the road that she's on, even willing to fight the president, who was her huge advocate on something like TPP, willing to fight him on that because she knows that it's not right, imagine her and Feingold and some other people in the Senate who are real fighters for the Democrats. They can actually pull the Democrats back from being Republican light to actually being the party of opposition. Again, I don't know why you would vote for someone who would give you a complacent, non, non-strength, mushy middle sort of view. These are the fighters that you want.
Feingold's a fighter. This is a guy, if you're in Wisconsin and you don't remember Russ Feingold when he ran for Senate six years ago, six years ago, when he was in the Senate before that, do some research. This guy is a real fighter. You want to get rid of the Patriot Act? You want a guy who actually cares about the sovereignty um, of the United States, actually cares about um, privacy for American citizens? This is your guy. You want a guy who's actually willing to fight against corporate welfare, willing to fight against the big banks and break up the big banks because they're, quote unquote, too big to fail. Russ Feingold is your guy. If you want a corporatist, if you want a guy who's willing to lay down and show his belly uh, to to banks and big corporations so that he can get a little bit more money for his campaign next time, then Ron Johnson is your guy. But I don't think if you're listening to this, I don't think that's what you want. I think you want a fighter and Russ Feingold is a fighter from Wisconsin. Absolutely. Now, I actually had the pleasure of seeing Feingold debate one of one of one of the all time greatest things I've ever seen. I I, I saw Russ Feingold debate. um, uh, What's his name? Uh, uh, Turd Blossom. Um, Oh, God, I can't remember his name. Um, George Bush's right hand man. Um, And he was such a champion for progressive views. And. I, I cannot, I, I can't say it enough that it is high tide that high time that we get, you know, that we get these, um, we get these guys in office who are really going to make a difference. By the way, it was Karl Rove. Sorry, I was googling. Um, yeah, Ru- Russ Feingold debating Karl Rove. It was unbelievable to watch these two guys. Look, I think Karl Rove is a hideous human being. However, Karl Rove isn't stupid. And it was interesting to watch two guys who believe so, di- so views are so diametrically opposed, but they could both argue their side. Again, if you want a fighter, Russ Von Gold is your guy. Okay, so that is the end of our free session for Look Forward. Make sure you sign up for the premium content so that you can get the full show. You get all the shows in our paywall and, of course, all of our free shows as well that are a part of the Nerdpocalypse Network that we run. So make sure you go to lookforwardshow.com and sign up. It's $5 a month or $50 for the full year. And we will see you guys next week for another episode. Bye.